You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Thank you, by the way, for the plug for our series on Rekindled. <laughs> um, just something we've been working through the past few weeks as we look into the Bible and at certain stories and individuals and things like that, where we see a little reflection of ourselves in, in that, where um, everybody's faith kind of lulls a little bit, um, or gets a little wooden, or gets a little dry, and we wonder, well, how do I, how do I shake out of that? And the concept is, is that we recognize our God is a consuming fire, but when we look back at Moses and the burning bush, that that consuming fire was in that bush, but yet the bush was not consumed. Um, and I think that kind of gives us the idea that that God can burn something out of us while at the same time burning something into us and rekindling uh, that faith and, and that idea. So I'm going to just jump right into it because I'm going to get out of here on time. So this is my challenge to preach a 30-minute message or less. Uh, so let's see how this goes. Um, so First Chronicles in the Old Testament, First Chronicles chapter 13. If you would turn there, I want to look at a guy that suffered spiritual paralysis. Um, I think that happens to us all at some point, some time or another in our in our walk with Christ, as we just kind of seize up. And uh, this happened very, uh, very definitely and intensely to King David uh, very early on in his reign. And I just want to look at that story and maybe see how it might relate to to us as well in our lives. Have you ever? I'm going to open this up. You can respond however you will. Uh, have you ever done something the wrong way and then discovered you were doing it the wrong way? Anybody have a story about that? I was doing something, but only I was doing it the wrong way. Didn't know it, but I very quickly just... And Joey raised his hand like right away. So This is more like about knowing something. Okay. For the longest time I thought Jamaica was in Africa. Okay. <laughs> and how did you find out you were wrong? <laughs> yeah, well, it's okay because you're an American and all Americans suck at geography, apparently. You know, so, okay, that, yeah, there you go. That's that's one. Uh, anybody else got another one? Maybe? Something you did or it, it, and then discovered, oh man, I'm doing it the wrong way. Okay, Ken? Every time I look at my homework. Every time I look at my homework. <laughs> all right, okay. One more, maybe? Okay, yeah, anybody that's purchased and built something from Ikea feels it. <laughs> oh, that doesn't go in that way. Now I have to take it all apart sort of thing. Okay, Matt. I'll go quick. All right. I was making burgers and I wanted to spice it up. And so I put breadcrumbs in and I put too much, but I didn't realize it until I was eating the burgers and I was like, it was just so dry and gross. <laughs> Gross. Okay. All right. So, yeah, cooking lessons, that sort of thing. All right, I'm going to have to roll with this one, but I uh, every every time I try to help my wife, like do the laundry, 
that's not how you do it. <laughs> kind of thing. So, you know, well, fine, I'll just remain ignorant and never do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, Joey really hit on something there is that when we're wrong about something, whether we're doing it wrong or we understand it wrong, um, it can be a very humbling uh, process of being set right, but that's okay. Now, that really is okay. I don't think when, when God wants us to be humbled, it's not the sense of humiliated or crushed or put down, but humbled in the sense that we go, oh, I get it now. And then we can go the way that we ought to go. So first Chronicles chapter 13, we're going to, we're going to see that story and, uh, and we're going to jump to another passage, maybe two more passages, um, as we, as we do this. So let me just read, uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter of first Chronicles 13 to you and you'll see the story. Um, uh, let me set it up a little bit. This is shortly after David had uh, been uh, finally put into the position of king. Saul has died, and um, he has been recognized by all of Israel now as the rightful king. And he's starting to, to do things the way they ought to be done. And, uh, and one of the first things he thought, well, what we got to do is we have to restore worship of Yahweh. Uh, the Philistines stole the ark in the days of King Saul, and David says, "Let's let's make that right." Okay, so he wanted to do a good thing. All right, uh, David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with every leader, and David said to all the assembly of Israel, "If it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain." In the lands, in all the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebohamoth, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Yam. And David and all Israel went up to Beela, that is to Kiriath Yam, and that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. No bagpipes. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Anyway, going on. When they came to the threshing floor of Shidon, uh, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, and he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obedidom the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the household of Obedidom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obedidom and all that he had. Okay, wow, that's one of those Old Testament stories that makes you go, yeah, just hold on a second there. <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, as we look back at that, I mean, this is basically what happened in the story. Um, David wanted to do a good thing. Let's go get the ark and let's bring it back. But we see right away from the get-go that David was kind of stumbling in this because he went to all of the people and said, Hey, if this sounds all right to you, and if it's from the Lord our God, let's go get the ark. And do you see what the problem is there? Is he was putting his trust in the advice of men. What he should have just said, if this is from God, let's go do it. But it seemed right in everybody's eyes, and they said, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go get that ark. The only problem was is they forgot something about the ark over the centuries and over the years. If you go back into Exodus chapter uh, uh, 25 and Numbers chapter 4, the ark was the place where God dwelt in the midst of Israel. In fact, his presence resided right, let's pretend this is the top of the ark, that was where his presence was. And he made it very clear in the scriptures, no touchy. Okay? Because it's holy. A couple of weeks ago we, we talked about, you know, how Christ viewed what was holy and how it's so easy for us to turn it into something that's common. And that's basically what was happening in that day. The Ark of the Covenant just became a piece of furniture. And they thought we need to have that piece of furniture back so that God will bless us. And they forgot how holy it was. You know, it's interesting, in the Hebrew, uh, the original language of this story, when it says that Zah reached out his hand to steady the ark, in the Hebrew it says he reached his hand over. Right into where the presence of God dwelt. And then he was struck dead. He was struck down because of that. And they were warned that that would happen. But they forgot the warnings. You see, they forgot the instructions of how to even move the ark. They forgot how holy the ark was. They they, they began to forget who their their God was. And it resulted in a spiritual paralysis. David was so angry and so afraid that he just stopped right there. No, we're not going to do it now. Here, just take it over to Obedi-Dom's. He can handle it now. And sometimes we get that way too, where, where we just don't understand what God is doing in our lives. We don't get God, and, and that happens so often. Basically what David was demonstrating there was that God was not who he, David, wanted him to be. Let me break it to you softly and as gently as I can. That's not God's job. It is not God's job to be who we want Him to be. God will be God, and God is holy, and it's our job to respond and to adjust to that. That's why we need Christ so much. You know, as Job already testified, that is why we need the finished work of Christ in us so that we can make that adjustment uh, to let God be who God is. And we walk with Him the way that we ought to. You know, it's interesting. They, they had quite this parade. I mean, David and the, the, and the priests, they were, all, they were worshiping with all their might. Does that interest you, Matthew, as a worship leader? Yeah, you'd just love to see that, wouldn't you? Now, please understand, I'm not knocking worship. Worship is what we ought to do as Christians. It's, it's recognizing God for who he, who he really is. But we also need to recognize that we cannot replace obedience with worship. Okay. The two have to go hand in hand. 
And and that's really what happened there is it's not God's fault that Azah died. It was Azal's fault and David's fault and all the people's fault that Azah died because they were not being obedient. Let me point this out. Uh, chapter 14, we get a story about David's wives and all his children. And, and, and then, you know, he goes and he finally defeats the Philistines and everything while the ark is sitting there blessing Obed-Edom's household. And then we get to chapter 15. And I want you to jump all the way down to, to verse 13 because David did something. He gathers all the Levites together. And he says this to them in verse 13. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. Sometime David went back to the scrolls, he dug up the books of Moses, and he began to read, and and he went back to Exodus, and he went back to Numbers, and he went, oh, what? God gave us the instructions. He told us exactly how to move the ark. But we did it our way. In fact, we, we not only did it our way, we, we did it the way the Philistines did it. You know, and, and the fact that the Philistines managed to carry off the ark tells me that when they did that, they knew more about carrying the ark than even David and the Levites did. They knew to insert poles into it, to lift it up, but then they set it on an ox cart. And then they hauled it away. And apparently we're very careful not to reach over it or touch it. David and the rest, in their own wisdom and in their own thought, said, well, here's the way to do a good thing. Let's go get the ark. Let's get a brand new ox cart and bring it back. Well, it didn't matter how new the ox cart was, the ox still stumbled. And the ark started rocking. And his off forgot the no touchy rule. So David goes back and he sees the very, you know, read Exodus, read Numbers. Man, it goes into detail, I know. It seems ad nauseum at times, but there's a reason God did that. Because he was demonstrating his holiness. And and we are not holy people of ourselves. And how in the world do holy people interact with a holy God? Well, we, we've got to go to God's word to understand that. We can't be making it up as we go like David did. And the result was David's spiritual paralysis for a while. And, and maybe that's what's happening to us is that we kind of fall into this rut of making it up as we go. Uh, we'll figure Christianity out and we'll, we'll make our own design of, of how it works instead of going to God's Word and saying, oh, this is, this is how I walk with this holy God. Uh, because He wants His presence to be in me through the Holy Spirit. How do I do that? How in the world do I allow God's Holy Spirit to be present in my life? Well, we could try to come up with all kinds of good ways on our own. But God has already told us, He says, just read the Word. Just read the Word. Get back into it. So here's what I think God burnt out of David in this situation. And and that was the fact, if you read the story of David's life, I know he was the apple of God's eye, a man after God's own heart and everything, but David also had a tendency to have a disregard for God's word. You remember the story of Uriah the Hittite? Uh, uh, David committed adultery with Uriah's wife, got her pregnant, then he panicked, 
And then he thought, maybe nobody will do the math, so if I can get Uriah back from the front, um, I can, I, you know, then, then everybody will think he went home to his wife, and then he got her pregnant, but Uriah was a better man uh, than David. He, he wouldn't, even drunk, he would not compromise his duties and go home and, and, and take advantage of something that his fellow soldiers could not do. He even told David that. He says, how, how can you ask me to do this? He says, how can you ask me to go home to my wife when, when, when my commanders and my fellow soldiers are out in the field and the Ark of the Covenant still dwells in a tent? Those were the words that stung David. And so David said, all right, fine. I, I know how to solve this. I'll just send you into battle. Well, he doesn't tell Uriah that. That would kind of spoil the plan. He, but ironically, he sends Uriah back to the field with the, the plan in, in Uriah's hand. Uriah didn't even know he was carrying his death sentence. And he goes back there and he's told by the commander, by Joab, to go, go to the fiercest part of the siege. And, and then they were to abandon Uriah there. Jeez, David. Come on. How did that all happen? You know, we, we tend to look at that story and we think, well, you know, that was adultery. David committed adultery and then it led to murder. But you know what we missed out? Go back and read Second Samuel chapter 11 in verse 1. It was spring when kings go to battle. But David stayed in Jerusalem. It was that compromise that led to a greater compromise and a greater compromise until he just had a mess in his hands. And then God sent Nathan, David's friend, to him. Nathan was a prophet. And, 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 he, and Nathan called him on the carpet. But he didn't say, because you committed adultery. He didn't say, because you killed Uriah. He did not say, because you did not go to battle in the spring when kings are supposed to go to the battle. What Nathan said to David is, because you despised the word of God. Now it's really easy to say, well, I don't I don't despise the Bible. That's a pretty strong word. Oh No, despise really isn't that strong a word. It just means to treat something or someone less than they ought to be treated. So this is where I get really convicted and go, how easy it is for me to treat the Word of God less than how it ought to be treated. Because when I, when I do that, then I end up living in my life in a way that I treat God in a way less than the way he ought to be treated. So I think that's what needed to be burned out of David was this tendency that he had to sometimes just do things his way instead of God's way. And then I think the thing that got burnt into David in, in that incident was he, he got a brand new respect for God's presence and God's instructions about His presence. And I don't know about you, but that's something I need. That's something I require. Um, is a whole new respect every day of God's presence, a healthy respect of His presence, and the instructions that He gives me in His Word about how to do that. Okay? So let's jump to the New Testament real quick. Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm cheating because I have a business card stuck there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's writing a letter. This is many centuries after this, but hopefully we're going to see the connecting to this, these two, uh, these two accounts in scripture to a, a story about David and, and that it resulted in doing something the wrong way and discovering in a very humbling way how he did it wrong. And then, uh, 
something that Paul tells Timothy. Uh, Paul's going to be executed. Uh, we believe this is his last letter before his execution to his young protege, Timothy. And when you read Second Timothy, it's very personal and it's very intimate. It's, it's Paul's most intimate writing. And it's kind of like these are his last words. And he has a lot to say about paying attention to the scriptures. And, and in chapter 3 of Second of Timothy, beginning with verse 16, um, this is what Paul says. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching. Okay, just stop right there. There's two things that we just learned about God's Word. Two things that God's Word is. First of all, it is breathed out by God. That means it is sourced in God. Everything that we read in here does not come from man. It comes from God. God used men to record it and to write it down, inspired by His Holy Spirit. But these are God's words. And I can tell you that, that that's very easy to discover. You don't have to read the Bible for very long to go, how could man write this? Because what man is going to say, love everybody even when they don't deserve it? Love your enemies when they persecute you and when they treat you poorly. We do not think that way. That's not our default setting. Now, here's one. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. When someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If Nick Rambo had written the Sermon on the Mount, if someone strikes you on the cheek, make sure you hit him hard enough that he won't be able to do it a second time. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just totally against my grain. And that's how I know that the Bible's inspired, is because it's always rubbing against the grain. And I wish I had time to tell the story about my dad. I actually saw him turn the other cheek, literally, in a physical altercation. And, and that was the day I realized as a teenager how incredibly strong my dad is. You know, we all do that as kids, right? My dad had a twin brother. So it was always fun when the cousins got together and said, my dad's stronger than your dad. <laughs> and we had some pretty interesting arguments about that. But that's what I believed in that instant. When I saw my dad do something that I had before perceived was a weakness, to let somebody take advantage of him, then I realized, wow, he is the strongest man in the world to do that. You know, to turn the other cheek, you know, that comes from the Holy Spirit, so it can only be accomplished through the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants us to understand. So, first of all, God's Word is inspired. It's not our idea. It's God's ideas. So we can't say, well, this is how I'm going to do Christianity doesn't matter how good your idea is if it's not God's idea. The second thing we learned is that it's profitable. That means it's useful. It means it has a good, a good produce that should come out of it. That every time we come into the Word, that God wants to produce something in us. And then he goes on to explain what he produces. Uh, verse 17. Well, I'm still in 16, actually. Uh, All scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's the end result, that the man or woman of God would be perfect, would be complete, and would be ready to do whatever God would have us do. Because he didn't just save us to sit here and twiddle our thumbs until he goes, okay, trumpet toots, we scoot, let's go to heaven. Um, No, he's, he's left us here to make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? Well, we go to the scripture that, that, that teaches us, that rebukes us, 
that corrects us and it trains us for every good work so that we too can testify of Christ's completed work for all of us. Now, when I first read this, I thought, man, God's redundant. I mean, I'm a teacher. Why does he use teaching, reproof, correction, and training? Aren't those all the same thing? Well, no, not if you look at the Greek. And it's really interesting because the way the way it's presented to us in the Greek, uh, teaching is like the first step. Rebuke is the second step. Third step is correction. Last step is training. And then we're at the top where it says, now I'm, now I'm equipped and now I'm complete. You know, we can't skip steps. So this is, this is the way these words work, okay? According to the Greek. What God's word does to us and what it's good for is, is that it teaches us. It introduces to us the principles of how we can walk with the holy God. Like for example, love your enemy. Love your neighbor. Uh, turn the other cheek. You know, all these instructions are given to us for that. That's teaching. The second step is rebuke. That's where we, where we measure our life, the reality of how we actually live against the scriptures. Do I love my neighbor? Do I love my enemies? Can I turn the, cheek, the other cheek if someone strikes me in the, the first one? No. <laughs> what do I do? Then what do I do? Well, then we go to step three, correction. This is where the Bible gives us practical steps to actually do those things. Like, for example, how does one love his enemy? What does the Bible say? Pray for those who persecute you. I had a guy threaten to take my head off once, right outside my, my own door. And he meant it. I, and I was scared to death, and he could do it. So he was like 23 times bigger than me. You know? You know how I say whenever I see somebody, I tend to do this weird thing, go, I can take him. <laughs> Not this guy. <laughs> and uh, when he made that threat, I thought, boy, here we go, here we go. Well, anything, things got calmed down, and, and, uh, and uh, we didn't really totally resolve the situation, but they got calmed down, and I came in to eat, and, man, I was so jacked up. You know, the adrenaline was going, and I could hardly even hold my fork, and I'm shoveling my wife's roast beef into my mouth, and she and my father-in-law, who's an unbeliever, was looking at me very strangely, and I kind of looked at them like, what's going on? And, and they're like, weren't we going to pray? <laughs> I didn't even think about saying grace, you know. <laughs> and so I prayed, and what was strange was that God led me to pray for this neighbor that just threatened to take my head off. You know, and then it totally changed my attitude towards him. You know, we don't ever, you know, don't despise prayer either because, you know, God works in our own lives when we're praying quite often. And it was a testimony to my father-in-law who, you know, as I said, he wasn't a believer. And he said, I've never seen anybody do that before. How can you pray for someone that just threatened you like that? It's in the scripture. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless them. <laughs> Bless them. I had, that was the next step. I had to figure out how do I be, how do I show kindness to this guy uh, and whatnot? So, again, Scripture is good for that. It'll, it'll take you to practical steps to say, this is how you do it. Um, not your way, but this is God's way. This is, this is how we do it, and we do it together. And then the last thing is training. Training. Well, what is training? Well, training is doing something over and over and over and over and over again until it becomes a habit. I was in track in junior high, and I had a really bad habit in track. 
I came up out of the blocks uh, too high too soon. You know, that slows you down. And my body just did not know how to stay low. You know, if you stay low, man, you move a lot faster. So my coach, he, he had a really unique way of solving that. He found two posts about this high. And he's, they're about, I don't know, six, six feet apart. He says, I want you to run between those posts. Okay, so I came up out of the blocks, I ran between the posts. He said, now see, I was watching you, and I could see, I'm looking at that post, and I could see that you're, you were above the post level when, when you went through that. So you've got to stop doing that. So I'm going to help you, all right? And he went and he got a two-by-four and a couple of nails. He nailed that two-by-four in those posts. He put me in the box. He said, okay, go. I, I hit the po- I hit the, the two-by-four on my shoulder, and it hurt. <laughs> And he said, do it again. You ever watch that movie, Miracle, about the, the, the hockey team, the American hockey team? And that, there's that scene, again. Again. I mean, until these guys are thrown up. Again. And that's what it felt like. He said, do it again. Do it again. And he kept, I mean, he hit my head once. I'm like, why is he putting nails in there? <laughs> Can't I just knock it off? <laughs> but eventually he got to the point where he said, Go! And I came out of the blocks and zipped right underneath that board. And then my body was able to do that. It developed muscle memory by training over and over and over again. You see, you can't just read the Bible once and it's going to take. I wish. We have to read it over and over and over again until suddenly we go, Wow! I'm loving my enemy out of habit. It's, it's actually become hardwired into me. And when that happens, that's, that's when God is truly glorified in our lives. So we're all like David. We all want to do a good thing, but sometimes we do it the wrong way. And, and then sometimes maybe when we discover that in our humiliation or our humbling, we feel humiliated, and then we become spiritually paralyzed. And then we're not doing anything. And then, and then we go back to the Word and we go, Oh, that's how God wants it done. And then we become powerful. Powerful. Man, God is so good at healing paralysis. He's so good at that. Only He can do that. Um, he's amazing at that. Um, if you find yourself kind of stumped right now, kind of stuck right now in your faith, go back to God's Word. Go back hungry and say, God, show me. Show me who you are. Show me who I am next to you. Show me the way I ought to go. And man, even if you, your backbone has been spiritually shattered, I guarantee you God will make you walk again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you for the, the stories that are left behind for us. Um, thank you that we can learn from... Uh, Others' mistakes are mistakes. Thank you, God, that the promise of Scripture is that uh, a righteous man falls down seven times and rises again. And and that, Lord, uh, it doesn't matter how many times we fall down. What really matters is how many times we get back up. And it also says, Lord, that, that when we fall, you extend your hand to us and you uphold us with your right hand. So, Lord, if there are any here, like me, who have the tendency to stumble in our walk with you. Help us back up. Take our hand, Lord. I pray that you're finding souls right here in these seats that are reaching their hand out to you in some way. 
saying, lift me back up, God. I want to walk. And I want to walk with you. And Lord, bring us back to your word. And and we pray that your Holy Spirit, the author of Scripture, will be the interpreter of Scripture also and enable us to understand it. Help us to get into the word together, Lord, as brothers and sisters. And encourage one another towards striving after that pursuit of the upward call of Christ. That we might be made complete, totally fit, totally outfitted for the work that you have given to us in your kingdom. And God, we pray that this would happen so that your presence would be known and not violated. And that in making your presence known, Lord, that that the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted up. And that people might see and people might learn and people might know and people might believe. God, we pray this for your kingdom's sake. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.